Welcome to Sounding Cinema, the podcast where we explore how music and sound shape our relationship with film. I'm Nathan Platt, and I teach music and film history at the University of Iowa. In our fourth episode, we continue a conversation begun in episode three. There, I sat down with four students to discuss Jacques Demy's 1964 French New Wave musical, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Mon amour, mon amour. In that film, the characters sing all of their lines, and the music goes round and around. But our conversation didn't stop there. A listener of this podcast had recommended we check out the 2020 film Sound of Metal. So we did. And we found there a film that paired with Umbrellas of Cherbourg in ways that surprised us. If Umbrellas of Cherbourg douses our ears with unceasing melody, Sound of Metal hits the listener with a shot of really loud music before ripping it away leaving us and the film's main character struggling to find balance in a much quieter world. But Umbrellas of Cherbourg and Sound of Metal are more than a study in contrasts. There are some surprising connections, and we're eager to share those with you. One quick note, some of the sonic details in Sound of Metal are really soft and subtle. We've tried to include some of those moments in the podcast, but depending on your listening space, you may only hear a few seconds of quiet. If that happens, no worries. We're still here. And if Sound of Metal teaches us anything, it's that some moments of quiet are never a bad thing. Darius Martyr's 2020 film, Sound of Metal, was nominated for six Oscars and won for Best Sound and Best Film Editing. It stars Riz Ahmed as Ruben Stone, who is already in love at the beginning of the movie. Ruben is a heavy metal drummer, and his soulmate is guitarist and duo partner Lou, played by Olivia Cooke. At the start of the film, we see them touring the country in a massive RV, but Ruben suddenly experiences profound deafness. Lou, no, this is me. Let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like. Let's try it, okay? I'm gonna be like a click track. You can play to me. No. Huh? You can adjust. It's different, but it is what it is, Lou. We have a tour book, Lou. No. It doesn't matter. Yes, it we do. Matter. We it's have not a safe. tour It's not booked. Suddenly, his music and his relationships are veering sharply off the road. Lou helps Ruben check into a deaf community ministered by Joe, played by Paul Racy. From Joe, Ruben begins learning about how those who live with deafness do not consider their condition a loss, so much as a different form of being. I wonder, uh, all these mornings you've been sitting in my study, sitting, have you had any moments of stillness? Because you're right, Reuben. The world does keep moving. It can be a damn cruel place. But for me, those moments of stillness, that place, that's the kingdom of God. 
And that place will never abandon you. But this message is hard for Reuben, who still secretly hopes that surgical cochlear implants will restore his music career and relationship with Lou. After taking the plunge and getting surgery, Reuben finds out that implants deliver a different form of hearing, quite apart from his old experiences. At the end of the film, he visits Lou and her father in France. As father and daughter sing at a house party, Reuben tries to listen, attempting to discern messages he is perhaps reluctant to hear. Now, Sound of Metal may seem far afield from Umbrellas of Cherbourg, but in watching these films back-to-back, we realize that they spoke to each other in some unexpected ways. They're interested in different kinds of realism. That's Cecilia Krista, a graduate student in communication studies who is interested in visual manifestations of sound in pop culture. But sonically, Umbrellas is not a realist film. Okay. <laughs> yes. <Yep. laughs> Thematically, it's a realist film. Uh, Sound of Metal is thematically realist, I would th- say, in the sense that it's it's um, it's exploring a, a a conflict that people may experience in real life, and and thinking of the ways in which someone in the real world might handle these issues. Right? It's not it's not a flight of fantasy. Um, however, the realistic ear sounds are really really realistic. Um, I mean, I haven't experienced significant hear loss. Um, and I was so grateful that I hadn't after watching this because I was so like, wow, getting an implant is not the same as recovering your hearing and there's it, you can never recreate it. Right. When I was listening, I thought that I was experiencing it. Um, you know, when you have that, um, ringing in your ear, I thought that that was my own ear and I was like, I should be really careful. And then I noticed there was actually the soundtrack. So it's so, it just makes so much like your actual ear. So the logic here is that both films um, force the the viewer to, and the listener to learn how to hear in a world with different rules. And the different rules in Umbrellas are, it's a fantasy world in which everyone is singing all the time. You have to become used to that world and they aren't gonna help you out by doing this like Hollywood musical thing where, oh, we're on a stage. Oh, here's a hat. (laughs) And now there's a piano and I'm dancing and singing, right? right? You have to just become immersed in this world and it's like strange, right? And you have to accept that and move with it. Similarly, um, you're put in Ruben's space and it's the experience that he has when he loses his hearing and then goes to this um, deaf community is an experience of cultural immersion. It's like going to a different culture and all of the difficulties, challenges and adaptation that you go through. Um, So you're more aligned with Ruben in this case, right? You are um, in Ruben's head, literally sometimes. Um, And you learn the rules of this new world, a world which exists in real life which is to say the world of someone who loses their hearing. One of the worlds is the deaf community. The other world is the non-deaf community world. Well, and I think really related to those worlds is sort of this realization of the power of music, whether it's present or not, you know, to make on-screen characters relatable or not. That's Rebecca Erdman, a musicology doctoral student at the University of Iowa. But also, you know, these two worlds, because of how they're treating sound differently, I think that also helps prepare us as the viewer for the, you know, the non-Hollywood standard ending where everything 
everything is resolved and it's one, you know, we're all happy and it's happily ever after. Um, and so like this very different use of sound elements, be it music or just loss of sound, um, you know, help with that non-resolution for us as viewers. So it's, we're already prepared for the unexpected and we're already uncomfortable. So then when that discomfort happens, it's not quite as jarring as it would be if, you know, this the musical, they didn't get together at the end, you know? I I love, Rebecca, that you, you brought up the idea of the way that we we feel music. Uh, and that very much, as I think, is on display in Sound of Metal. That's Noah Zarotnik, a recent graduate of the University of Iowa who majored in cinematic arts and journalism. The, the experience of a musician learning to understand and comprehend and even then create music in a world where he can't hear it is is fascinating and it, again it, it uh, very similar to the way that i feel about umbrellas it, it really highlights this beautiful natural rhythm that we have in the world in an everyday conversation um it's it, it's the kind of rhythm that that really makes you how do i put this it's a natural rhythm a rhythm that that is highlighted and and um, exacerbated in a sense through umbrellas and one that is uh, taken away from you, one that you have to relearn through Sound of Music uh, is really what what differentiates between good and bad dialogue in film in general. It's it's very easy to to recognize when a character's comments or a, even a, like a, a line delivery just doesn't feel right because it doesn't have that that natural rhythm to it. Um, it. It accentuates, both of these films accentuates sort of the musicality and again, the fantasy uh, of, of everyday life. Um, one through uh, exaggeration and the other through um, deprivation, frankly. Um, it's an absolutely surreal experience. I talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but um, this is a film that I think hits the hardest or it has the most impact on a viewer or even just a listener uh, when it's an individualized experience. Uh, I was fortunate enough. I have a PlayStation 4, so I watched it at home and I had my headphones, my noise reducing headphones plugged into the controller. So it was a very unique, singularized sort of individual experience that I was having on my own with the film. And I think if I saw this in a theater, even if it's like a smaller theater, like you see it at an art house cinemas or like a film scene, I don't think it would have had as drastic of an impact on me. That being said, it breaks my heart that this is locked behind uh, the Amazon Prime paywall. Um, I think it's absolutely worth signing up for a, a 30 day free trial if you haven't already, but that's what I did. <laughs> it, it, it breaks my heart. I, I think one of the, the biggest comparisons that I make between this and umbrellas is that umbrellas hits you in a way similar to, you know, similar, like a studio uh, musical and that it's it is a little bit detached from real life whereas this one it's it's a visceral full body experience um and the things that happen to you the knots that you get in your stomach when you are deprived of sound especially in situations where you know there should be sound uh is is a truly unique experience that one that i've very rarely or ever felt in cinema and it just highlights how versatile and how wonderful this medium is. 
it, it's, it's absolutely incredible. The scene that struck me the most was towards the end of the film when Lou is singing with her father. Having Ruben standing by, and throughout the scene, uh, we hear the diegetic sound, uh, the sound that the majority of the people in the room listening to Lou and her father sing are hearing, and every time it cut back to Ruben, my mind was petrified, because I knew eventually it was going to have to go to his perspective, and we'd have to hear what he hears, and it's not going to be, it's not going to be good. And when we eventually get that payoff, and we eventually hear what Ruben is hearing through his implants, it was worse than I could have ever imagined. And just the, the that that scene to me was like the, the church scene, the, the organ scene in Umbrellas, because at that moment you went, oh, this isn't gonna end well. This is not, this is it. That's like the seed that plants the doubt in your mind. And that sort of seems like Ruben's turning point, right? Up until then, he sort of decided, like, I'm going to get these implants and my life is going to go back to normal. And then it's like, oh, like, my life is not ever going to be normal again. And he finally is forced to accept that. So, no, I agree with that. It's very similar to, like, it's this change in tone, however you you know, however you want to say it, similar to that church scene. Yeah, um, it's funny, Noah, that you um, you accidentally said sound of music <laughs> because it's such a good slip because I, it's obviously a play on that in some way. It must be. <laughs> I don't I, I haven't <laughs> I haven't worked it out yet. But yeah, actually, that the French song C'est amour me tu is weird because it's such a creepy song. First of all, it's <laughs> it's dreadful. <laughs> the lyrics are sad and weird and um the um, way it's sung, you can tell by Lou's face that she, it's like not coming from her heart. It makes you question what music is for in this film because we've only seen, there's the one metal sound, which is Purify, this song that we hear her singing at the very beginning. So these are, there's actually very little music for a movie about um, a musician. About the, the song, the French song, I actually noticed strangely that the woman's voice Lou's voice sounded like a little bit Le Grand, like the, a little bit like the Umbrellas, this like high um, non-falsetto-y or uh, vibrato-ish. It's it's quite a smooth and high-pitched, um, pure sound. Quality 
reality, also it's in French. <laughs> and also it's sort of this using like an old fashioned melody a little bit, but it's a little bit twisted. So it's not a love song. <laughs> it's maybe an op the opposite of a love song. A new other idea, which is what Noah was talking about, which is the implant and this organ, like thinking about the implant, hearing it through the implants as being the equivalent to the organ scene, which is like, whoa, this is real. Like this, this is scary and strange. And I felt that when Ruben was walking in the city and you felt he was walking in Paris, um, and you could hear it's awful the way it sounds it's so it's raggedy and um so so i guess i don't think this is an anti-implant film <laughs> per se but it really makes it you you realize that actually when he takes out the implants in on the bench um and everything is silent it's actually cinematic and <laughs> becomes somehow extraordinarily beautiful and even more cinematic than it could have been with with sound um, so there's something poetic about no sound rather than a kind of in between this like really weird space where he's marginalized in every way. Like he's no longer part of the deaf community when he puts the implants on, but neither is he part of the hearing community because he can't hear well and can't, you know, exist at this party that he's at. So it's like an in between. It's kind of a weird, uncomfortable limbo. And you can hear that. And it's so traumatizing for you to hear this like especially when you so want to hear it again, you so want to be part of the world and you can't recreate the sound that you used to have. And it sounds so, sounds like it's funneled through a radio that's been thrown into the Atlantic ocean and jumbled around. I felt really sad when I heard the quality of the voice. You could see his face when he was talking to the doctor. You could see the pain of like, this is what it is. Um, and, and for something that's not musical, you know, music usually is the kind of emotional driver for this for this kind of low quality sound to then affect you emotionally so much is really powerful and unique in this film, I think. So in this scene, Ruben is at the doctor's office. He sold everything that he owns to get cochlear implants, and now the implants are ready to be activated. Here we go. And he's going to hear with them for the first time. You know, Amazon has that that ability to sort of, you know, move your cursor over and get, you know, trivia and details and things that are happening, you know, in, in the scene. But they say, just so you know, this would never actually happen. Like somebody who is receiving implants would be counseled before. There would be much discussion about the quality of the sound and how different it would be. And there would be counseling afterwards. And so this film, while I do think it does a tremendous service to um, sort of the public at large, informing people that getting implants does not just mean you get your hearing back. Implants are, are miraculous um, that we can do them at all, but they are not the same as the hearing that we were born with. It also, uh, in order to in order to send that message, uh, it is also kind of playing fa fast and loose with how like cochlear implant uh, counseling actually happens. Um, that is pr perhaps one of the most unrealistic parts of this film, and it's there for narrative reasons. But I'm curious, what are other scenes that really stood out to you in terms of how they used sound or related Ruben's experiences. The, the scene as he's lo losing his hearing is just 
So, I, I mean, Cecilia, you mentioned like the tinnitus um, and how like it's very visceral and like, oh, is like ha- that happening to me? But that whole sequence of he, he has the tinnitus and then he's slowly losing his hearing. And then the next morning he's repeating this breakfast routine. And all of a sudden there's, you know, we're hearing these garbled sounds or there's not sound where there should be. And that, I don't know, that just really stuck out to me. Again, I knew when I saw the blender in the initial scene where he's using the blender and it's making a blender sound. Interesting. That's going to come back. (laughs) (laughs) And then you'll see the blender without sound, which is disturbing. Because going deaf, I imagine, well, there's different ways to go deaf. Some people are born deaf, etc. But it's not just silence. It's there's a lot of other sounds that are the inside of our head etc but in the deaf community section when he's there which is sort of a utopic well at least I thought it was really nice <laughs> um but you it's quite it's very quiet and the mix is basically just the sounds of people's mouths moving or their hands or walking sort of organic natural sounds no I don't going with kind of the things they can like hear that are in their heads this is anastasia schulze who graduated as a voice major from iowa and is now studying musicology i thought a scene that was really visually and sonically it just felt kind of emotional was when he when they were like in the school thing and they were watching that hip-hop dancer And you could tell that they could hear the beats and that kid is moving around a lot and he takes the kid outside and they're on that slide and like they're both making beats but then it's like you see that shot of just um like reuben making the beats and that kid is just like laying there almost like he's listening to it um and you hear it like it's inside their head so i think that's even even cooler and then the difference between hearing it inside their head and then hearing how light it actually sounds in real life um that was really really cool just sound and i don't think there was any music behind that too so it was just like that that sound um was really striking again yeah that was such a sweet scene it was so sweet and that's mm-hmm. the sound of metal it's the yeah sound. it's like the vibrations it's so beautiful yeah mm-hmm. i love that scene <laughs> Well, and the idea that sound is is not just something that we hear, that it is that there is a tactile dimension to it, or, or I don't know if tactile is the right word, that we feel, we feel it in, you know, in our body. I was thinking about the soundtrack because I then revisited the soundtrack on Spotify for Sound of Metal, and it's such a strange <laughs> soundtrack, obviously, like, but I was surprised. I wonder what other people thought of listening to the soundtrack without the movie. It's like a series of ear noises, like a series of, like, <laughs> ambient, like, pulsating... I, I wonder what people thought of it. Like, is this music? <laughs> The whole thing with the soundtrack is really interesting to me. I noticed that the soundtrack was only released like at the time of the Oscars. So like months after the film came out, um, I wonder if they 
had thought that nobody would necessarily be interested in in listening to the music of this film apart from the film? The score is by Abraham Martyr, who is the brother of the director and a co-writer on the film, and uh, Nicholas Becker, who is uh, also credited with sound design for the film. And the music is very, very um, sort of subdued in tone. They, they were very explicit about how they wanted the music to, in some ways, emulate or at least be sort of sympathetic to the, the experiences of, of somebody uh, with profound deafness. Your, your point about uh, hearing the sound of metal, because one of the people who is featured in the soundtrack, and I would never know this if they hadn't released the soundtrack, um, is Evelyn Glennie, who is uh, is a percussionist who is deaf, and she is very, very famous for that, and also extremely unusual. by vibrations in different parts of, you know, registered in different parts of her body. And because the, the music for this film is so subtle, I don't think I ever would have guessed that there was a featured percussionist, let alone that it was Evelyn Glennie, but, but, but I think that idea of sound as something that is very much felt um, as much as is heard is conveyed in the very sort of limited uses of music in the film, and then of course in that, that beautiful scene between him and the boy. That was something that struck me, like just when I was watching the movie, because I was able to just watch it like on my own with my headphones and hear kind of everything. It felt like kind of a droney sound. I think it was strings. I felt like there was a difference between like hearing kind of the ringing that like you kind of hear in your own ear and hearing that drone. But then you'd kind of get used to that droning sound. It sounded like music to me or like a little bit of a background score. But then suddenly when you hear things like you would normally hear them, you're like, oh, my gosh, like that was not supposed to be normal. That was really interesting. And I think that kind of, they kind of like stopped doing that once he got the implants in. One of the things I noticed, and I, I heard this drones actually a sort of like distortion of, you know, like er, earlier on when we have like the actual hearing portion, we get the distortion of the guitar and the microphone. And so it, like that to me, like carried through, but in my hearing, they gradually became more musical, right? Initially, it was just like, this is distortion. This is what he's hearing. This is odd. But then as we progress through, it's sort of, you did start to hear it as the score. Um, at, at least that was my experience. <laughs> Now, at the end of the film, we get a different sonic transformation. Ruben is sitting by himself on a street bench in Paris. He's left Lou with her father. And we hear the ambient street noise through the distortion of Ruben's cochlear implants. As a church bell begins to toll, Ruben sort of looks up and winces. 
then reaches to his head and disconnects his implants. The final images of the film play in silence. On an editing note for the for Sound of Metal, I was thinking, what? How are they making the decisions of when to be in Ruben's head and when not to be in Ruben's head? That was a question that was running through my whole mind throughout. But at the end, it makes sense because now he has. I think they've um, done something to his ear canal so he can't hear anything anymore um, because of the implants. That was a, a good moment at which it would thematically make sense for them to go back into Ruben's head to end the film, which is in complete silence. And there's something kind of the stillness and the sort of somehow silence is resolution. Usually at the end of a film, we get like a swooping melody or a song while the credits roll. But this time it's just silent. And I think that makes sense. It's sort of peaceful. I love that because I, I, I think the, the resolution of the film I, I is, is stupendous because I, if I remember correctly, like that's, that's the first moment in the film where Ruben voluntarily decides to be deaf. He has the ability to hear, he has the ability to communicate. But at that, at that moment, that was the first time that he accepted the fact that this has happened and that he voluntarily sort of allowed himself to be deaf and and like cecilia mentioned it's 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 that moment of stillness he's finally understood sort of what joe told him earlier in the film and that enjoying the moments of of stillness and silence and i think the ending indicates that ruben now understands that because of his because of be, his his hearing loss because he is now deaf he can really experience those moments of stillness and silence whenever he wants and it's entirely up to him um the, the ending of this film is very much ruben understanding that his deafness is not a handicap um and i think that's what's what's so brilliant about it um moral of the story please appreciate your senses uh wear earplugs to all concerts and uh and 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 just tell your family you love them I mean, I, I don't know if it's a conclusion, but uh, just trying to tie in the two films together, I, I think like the lack of a solid narrative resolution that's um, in, in some ways reflected in the music and the score and, and you know the soundscapes that both films create seems to be like that connecting thread between Umbrellas and Sound of Metal because of how the sound is presented in Sound of Metal, I, at least I personally identified more with Ruben than I did with any characters in Umbrella. And it's much, it's a much more, um, what is the word I'm looking for? It touching, touching is not the right word, but it, it's more visceral. It's, you know, more impactful than I, I think being part of the fantasy world of Umbrellas is. It's very much like you finish and you, know, you just sort of have to think like, that happened, <laughs> right? Um, how do I continue living my life? Both films are sort of showing us like what film sound can do in terms of helping us to imagine and experience things that are utterly detached from from what most people experience as sort of quote normal normal hearing and normal uh, normative reality and 
So on the one hand, you know, yes, we can create a world where everybody sings. And at the end, there is this kind of idea of, of and now we will just sort of obliterate you with sound. Like you will just be kind of like subsumed in this, in this sublime experience of all the orchestra and all of the, all of the singers and, and just kind of let it wash all over you. Sound of Metal, you know, gives us a, a, another sublime and, and like Noah was saying, Joe, Joe, the character has kind of, you know, cued us to think of this as the most important sound in the world, which is just like utter stillness, utter silence. Obviously, that's something we can recreate ourselves by plugging our ears in a quiet room. But having the story of Reuben to bring us to that moment, to see him voluntarily embrace silence as a means for some kind of deeper connection, that's really powerful. Once again, I am so grateful for the participation of University of Iowa students Rebecca Erdman, Cecilia Krista, Anastasia Scholze, and Noah Zerotnik. One element that makes Sounding Cinema distinct as a film podcast is the creative involvement of students like them. A special thank you to Aaron Platt, who designed our podcast logo. And last but not least, we are so grateful that a listener suggested we take a close listen to Sound of Metal. That was a great idea. You can learn more about the podcast and contact us at soundingcinema.com. We're also on Instagram at soundingcinema and Facebook at soundingcinemapodcast. And if you are enjoying listening, help others find the show by subscribing and or rating the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. 